members of the OG army get those wallets unfolded. Coming up next on the other ground live stage, prepare for an eargasm by Passive J and Big Dalton. Well, good afternoon and welcome to yet another edition of the other ground live. I'm Passive J. That's Big Dalton over there. Say hello, Ryan. Ladies and gentlemen, it is August the 3rd. It is a Monday. We have the biggest guest of all time ready to go. The dog named Odin sitting next to me. How you doing, bud? He's a little <laughs> quiet. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing excellent. I see the OG armies forming up in the chat box. Always glad to have you guys for the ride. Uh, how'd your day go, Ryan? Uh, it was a Monday, I think. Yeah, it was, it was a Monday. <laughs> That that uh, was a thing. Yeah. Okay. I can understand that. Yeah. I, uh, Mondays for me are a day off, so I enjoy them quite a bit more than you do, obviously. Uh, and for me, it was a day of sitting around on my ass uh, for most of the day and then going to an eye appointment, well, which almost got me killed, by the way. Uh, I had went to get new glasses because I noticed I can't see if my current ones anymore. And in the course of the um, you know eye examination and all that good stuff, uh, they dilated my eyes which I didn't think nothing of until they sent me on my merry way with no like sort of shades or, you know, or anything like that. And I had a hell of a time getting home to tell you the truth. So with your glasses, do they only give a prescription in one of the lenses and then the other one's just fake? Yeah. For the most part, they'll normally put like some sort of prescription on there, but it's, it's kind of pointless. Uh, I always wish that they could just put completely nothing on there. Cause I'm, uh, because even without the prescription, I'm still paying for like the anti-glare coating and other sh shit like that on the glasses, which is probably a good idea. And my my uh, insurance is decent, I guess. It's not amazing. I think these glasses would have cost about $700 if you just paid for everything yourself. And I got them for $230, so, which is not horrible. But uh, I know some people's uh, uh, vision insurance that covers quite a bit more than that. I, uh, my health insurance is fucking excellent where I work. The vision, just so-so. Eh, but still, even with like the the two thirty, shouldn't you really be getting those like half off? You would think so, yeah, you know. And uh, today is a uh, a goalstone in my life. Uh, I'm not sure goalstone, <laughs> a milestone uh, maybe. A milestone, yeah, a milestone in my life. Not necessarily a good one. For the first time, they prescribed me bifocals. So that'll be a yeah, fun you're, thing. You're get. getting old as fuck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so have you asked them like, could you get a monocle instead? A monocle, you know, I should have asked him about that. That would have been fucking awesome. Uh, I don't know what I look like the Monopoly money guy. I don't, I do wear a suit all day. So all I would need at that point is a top hat. I've never heard of anybody in real life having a monocle. So if you get one, we will be expecting a thread on the other ground. Ah, uh, no, unlikely. They asked me if I wanted contacts uh, and just like every other eye doctor I've ever seen, they, uh, they advise not to because I'm blind one eye and they want to have something covering up the other eye. We have a call. Uh, this is probably not going to go well. I'm guessing since it's got a picture of me for the, <laughs> for his profile picture. Uh, what can we do for you, caller? No, yes, no, maybe no. All right. We gave you a chance, sir. That went actually better than I thought it was going to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, they always recommend that I get glasses instead of contacts because uh, I'm blind one eye, and they think that I should have covering up the uh, something covering the other eye in case of accidents. Well, so thinking about it, right? So, like for that, do you get twice the use out of contacts? So if you were to get contacts, right? Like, don't mm -hmm. they generally like sell those in pairs? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if they were disposable ones, I imagine I could probably get a pretty good discount on that, you know. Uh, but uh, as like or the permanent ones, I'd only have one. They'd probably be quite a bit cheaper. But I've I had uh, contacts back when I was in my early twenties. I didn't particularly like them that much. I'm not a super active guy or sports or anything like that. So uh, wearing glasses is not a huge burden for me, anyways. Well, that and if you're going to do sports, you'd have to get some of those like rec specs, like sports goggles. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that'd be a diff different fee. And I can't afford more than one pair of glasses anyway. So it's fine. It's not a huge deal. Uh, as far as uh, the show goes, we are expecting a call at one point or another from the world famous Kirk Jenis. Did I say that right? By the way, I want to make sure I get his name right before. Uh... I don't know. I've never talked to the guy. <laughs> well, he's calling in right now. So let's find out. Greetings and salutations, Kirk. How are you doing today, sir? Greetings My and God, it's actually Kirk. It is Kirk. Perfect pronunciation. If you listen to a blue jay singing, the bird goes Kirk, Kirk. And that's what I'm named for. I used to live in Alaska in a little fishing village on the Bering Sea. My father was doing graduate research on it and he named me. Blue jays in Canada are gray because Canada. But I'm named for the, the, the sound that a Canadian gray jay makes in, a, in an Inuit dialect. Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, your, so, your father must have been a unique kind of guy. Uh, my father was out of his, out of his fucking mind. Are we allowed to swear on this show? Oh, we certainly are, sir. Well, there we are wouldn't no be able to do shows on the other ground live, much like the forum. <laughs> much like the forum, yeah. My, my, my father, God rest his soul, was out of his fucking mind. Well, there you go. That's the, I, I assumed a good type of crazy, though. So, sir, how's your day going before we get into the good stuff? Uh... My life prior to the pandemic was actually fairly lively. I would teach at the gym about once a month. I'd call fights overseas. And now my big journey from the day is the one, two, the two steps between my bed and my desk. And that's about it. So that's been the gist of the day. Bed, desk. <laughs> well, let's get took, started took right, a... right at the beginning. Uh, Shoot. What got you, what got you into martial arts? Uh, what about your martial arts? My granddad was a tremendous wrestler. He was a captain of the uh, wrestling team at Lehigh. He was a tremendous wrestling coach. Uh, my father was a real good wrestler. He was second in Pennsylvania in high school, which is a, a real good wrestling state. But he got, uh, he got married the day he turned 18 to my mom. It wasn't because she was pregnant. I didn't come along for another seven years. But I always, growing up, there was always like a heavy bag in the backyard or a speed bag in the basement or, or whatever. And then I, I was in a little country called uh, Lesotho in the capital, Maseru. And at the Holiday Inn, they had a movie theater. It was one of the two movie theaters in the entire country. And I went there by myself. And what happened to me, what was playing, but Enter the Dragon, starring Bruce Lee. And it, it was, it, it's the pivotal moment of my entire life. Um, I watched Bruce Lee and I was like, oh my God, this is all I ever want to do. I want to be Bruce Lee. And I, 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 had, I had remembered some of Bruce Lee's moves. It was maybe a three, four mile walk home. So I tried some of the kicks out on, on neighborhood dogs. And by the time I, uh, by the time I got home, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> well that's uh, you know I, that doesn't surprise me all that much i imagine lots of people's martial arts careers were started by watching a bruce lee movie well so and, and with that and i think the most important question is how many times did you hit yourself in the face with a pair of nunchucks 
Oh, dude, it's not the face. It's the elbow, the underside of the elbow. I actually, I've always been a little bit entrepreneurial. I had a little company. We had an ad in Black Belt Magazine called Cambridge Custom Chucks. And I used to make, which was completely illegal in mass, but whatever. I used to make them and send them out. It was not a big revenue getter, but I'd get a couple hundred bucks in a month. Um, I was a freak for nunchucks from like 12 to 16. But every thousandth time you catch it underneath your arm, you get hit in the point of the elbow with a piece of oak. And every once in a while, still, I'll roll over in bed and the, the inside point of my elbow will touch a sheet and it'll burn just from whacking my elbow with nunchucks like an idiot for four years. They're like you damage the nerves. <laughs> I, I, it's, it, it's, it's lifelong. Oh, Jesus. Well, uh, I was never into nunchucks myself for obvious reasons. I don't want to hit myself in the face because I'm not exactly the most uh, agile person, I guess you'd call it. So nunchucks were never for me. I was more of a bow staff sort of guy. That seemed a lot more simpler. And I like the concept of a long weapon to keep people the fuck away from me. That's actually a very uh, that's actually a very wise choice, and in fact, my father showed me how to. It was he called it a quarter staff, not a bow staff, but same sort of thing. Yeah, uh, he showed me some basics with a what he called a quarter staff. Gosh, when I was starting, when I was like seven or eight, so I've always had uh, I've always had huge respect for for uh, for staffs, and I when I was uh, once I started taking Taekwondo. I read every martial arts book out there, and there was a little subgenre of martial arts novels that you could buy. And in one of them, there was an old Chinese master with an iron staff, and every time he whacked somebody, they got a broken limb. And I thought that was <laughs> one of the coolest things I'd ever heard. I probably still carry somewhere in my memory uh, a little fond place for, a, for an iron bow staff. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Did you ever uh, get into any of like the... Uh the fake weapon competitions. I can't remember what they call it now. Um, the society for creative anachronisms or something like that. Kirik is not a LARPer, Jay. Uh, <laughs> well, that's only LARPing as into the weapon part of it. Uh, most of them don't bother with like uh, armor or things like that. Basically they all, it's a whole big group of people that get around with foam covered sticks of various sizes and beat the fuck out of each other. I got to tell you, I have more respect than I can put into words for the dog brothers. They basically did for MMA. What, yeah, your Joe Brothers is what you're talking about. Uh, higher consciousness through harder contact. Um, they looked at, you know, they looked at it. I, I believe it came after UFC 1, but, but it, it may predate it. They looked at mixed martial arts, and they were like, fuck, we can do that. So they put on uh, lacrosse gloves and a lacrosse helmet, and they beat the stew out of each other. I don't know if they're still doing it. It was called the Gathering of the Dogs or the Dog Brothers something. I think, I think they do is. it once a year. I've seen videotapes of it. I never attended one, although a dear friend of mine is close with Rusty Dog or Salty Dog or one of those top dog guys. Um, <laughs> he goes, he's been to it, and he said, absolutely, it's 100% real. I saw a video. Somebody blocked, uh, I think those are knee sticks, and one of his uh, fingernails came off. And another time, a guy put a triangle on a guy, and then the guy did like an oil check with his uh, with his Arnie stick, and and that released the triangle. It is definitely uh, a new orientation, a different eye-opening orientation to to the martial arts. So you said uh, Taekwondo was the first martial art that you got into. Yeah, you know, I look back on it, and I, I, I just want to kick myself. 
Um, my mother took me to three places. She took me to Amherst Aikikai, because Ma's a hippie, and Aikido's kind of a hippie thing. And I saw the hippie people, and I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to do that. And then she took me to uh, Jimmy Pedro Sr.'s Tohoku Judo. And Tohoku Judo looked awesome. But the next place I went to was the Sukchung Institute of Taekwondo in Harvard Square. And when you walk in, there's a big picture. There was a big... It's an ice cream store now, but no, it's a travel agency. There was a big picture of Mr. Chung arm in arm with Bruce Lee. And I'm like, oh my God, this guy knows Bruce Lee. And I never looked back. <laughs> but in retrospect, you know, I would have gone to Tohoku. Um, I, it, 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 it was a mistake. Well, no, and, I mean, I'm sure you learned some things from it. Yeah, yeah. You, you can definitely get, there's, yeah. Yeah, I, honestly, one of my favorite martial arts in the world, I, although I don't do it, is Tai Chi. Uh, my mom does Tai Chi, and it keeps her moving, and it keeps her alive. And so I think it's awesome. I'm definitely pro all martial arts. Right. Um, well, well what did you move on to after? Uh, what did you move on to after Taekwondo? I had actually boxed um, earlier than than starting Taekwondo, so I still mm-hmm. boxed a little bit. Um, I did Taekwondo, got my black belt in that, went to college, opened up a little Taekwondo gym, and uh, kickboxing, the kick of the 80s was was going on. Uh, started kickboxing. I opened up, a, when I got out of college, I opened up with some partners, a, a full-time gym. That was all I did, and it's pretty much all. I've never had a real job or anything. Um, I opened up a <laughs> martial arts studio. Uh, which is still going on. So we did uh, Taekwondo and uh, and kickboxing. And I did a little bit of boxing there too. Uh, I, tried to, I tried to box in the local Golden Gloves, but they looked at my age and they're like, dude, you're too old. And I actually <laughs> said, oh, no, 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 that's a typo. And I tried to take six years off my age. And they said, you're still too old. And I was like, all right. So I have never competed. Uh, I've never competed in boxing, but I, I've sparred some decent people in the gym. Um, I can't say I ever beat anybody decent in the gym, not that beating somebody in the gym even counts anyways. And right. then in 1980, no, 1993, UFC won. We all got together at a, there was a woman at the gym who had a ton of money. She'd inherited, I don't know, a fortune. And she had a great place. It was a big enough place for all of us at the gym to go over. So when UFC won happened, 30 or 40 of us, maybe, yeah, 30 or 40, gathered at her house, and we all watched UFC 1. And one of the guys, I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. But at the same time, I was a little bit dubious. I think I was a little angry. I had predicted that Taylor Tooley would win. And when he didn't win, I'm like, all right, this is like a fix. And I, <laughs> I, I was like, they, they, they I, I thought, it, I knew they were legitimate shoots. You know, I knew it wasn't pro wrestling, but I thought that they gave uh, Hoist a favorable draw, which it actually turns out they did. In UFC 2 was a random draw, but in UFC 1, Horian choose who went with who. I wasn't completely sold on on uh, on BJJ, but there was a, a guy, little guy at the gym who's now like a brother to me. He had just recently gotten out of prison. And he's not a big guy. He's an incredibly tough guy, one of the strongest physically and mentally guys I know. But he's not big. He's like five seven, maybe. And he looked at Hoyce, and he's like, yes, this is all I'm doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> and so we, we, we bought the Horion Gracie tapes, 
And when I first watched them, I'm like, what is this? Like, what is this passing the guard thing? Why does anybody need to know how to pass the guard? This is ridiculous. This is only, this is jujitsu against people that know jujitsu. It makes no sense. But I played judo a little bit uh, previously. And uh, Dave, this guy, had been practicing a little bit. He'd been practicing the arm bars and everything. And he goes, all right, you know, you wrestled and you played judo. Let's just try it. So we touched hands and he armbarred me like six times. Tap, 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 tap. And ever since then, I've been like, okay, this this thing is this thing is super cool. Uh, and I, I've pursued it ever since as hard as I could. Nice. Well, we got a couple of questions up from the chat box. Argonaut wants to know uh, what, how, what, how, what led you to start the underground? Oh, that's an awesome question. So... This, you know, this is like the early, early, early days of the sport. It's We're looking at 98. And we open, I think, in August of 98. So by 99, things like tape trading had come along. And uh, Paul Vele would call me up and threaten to send the police to my house. I'm like, oh, you guys, we can't have any of this tape trading thing. There was a bunch of content. And then you couldn't put porn on the site, obviously. There was a bunch of content that we're like, we can't have this. And then everybody started talking about anything but jujitsu, MMA, or combat sports. They're like, oh, you know, my sister got in a car accident. And everybody would be like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, fuck you. You're, you're, you're filling up my forum. This is crazy. So I laid the law down. I said, nobody's allowed to talk about any, any, anything besides MMA and combat sports. And so I think we had one or two mods at that point, or maybe Dave and I were the only mods. But Dave said, dude, I talked to my girlfriend, and she said – it's better content when they're not talking about fighting. She said, when they talk about fighting, they, they just call each other names. But when they're talking about non-fighting subjects, it's a little bit more like a community. And I was like, huh. So I looked at it from that perspective and based on what Dave's girlfriend said, we started up the other ground. She, she thought up the name too. We're like, well, what do we call it? Like, what's a good name for it? And she thought up other ground, and so we set up the other ground, and now it's like 20 times more popular than the underground. <laughs> Several people are asking on the chat box about the Fighter Notebook. Fighter's Notebook, yeah. The reason I set up the whole website was just to sell the Fighter's Notebook. Um, there was, a, there was a, a message board at defend, Tim Roussel's Defend.net, and I loved that message board. I didn't want a message board at all. Uh, the two things I wanted were, one, a way to advertise a fighter's notebook, and two, I had a, a kind of like a, a Tinder for fights. This is, of course, pre-Tinder. Um, but we had a thing where you could put in how much you weighed, how much experience you had, how far you're willing to travel, and then we would, like, let people get gym fights. Because back then, late 90s, it was all, you know, like, literally, if you were in Massachusetts... You would have to go to, uh, you'd have to go to, uh, what was it near, Virginia, Virginia? was it, for, yeah, for, there was a guy I knew went to Virginia to have a fight. It was like a huge production. So we were having gym fights. We had gym fights in my gym. Every gym I knew was having gym fights now and again. And so this was just basically a way for people to connect. And I thought that was going to be our, our, our killer app. I didn't want a message board. I just wanted a way to advertise a, the fighter's notebook. And I wanted a, a, a Tinder for fighting. Um, and then the guys talked me into having a message board. They're like, you have to have a message board. It's a website. So I grudgingly agreed. And the, the month we opened in August of 98, Tim Moussel um, started charging $4.95 a year for using his site. And back then, you couldn't charge for anything on the Internet. So everybody's like, 
four ninety five. Are you out of your mind? Fuck you! And they all came <laughs> to the they all came to the UG, and the Fighters Notebook. I I literally it was I only wrote it because I have a terrible memory. Um, some people are 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 physical geniuses. They can watch a move and. A week later, they can just do it. They retain it. I don't retain anything. So I wrote every time. Uh, Dave and I used to go to Hens starting in like 95, maybe. Dave and I would drive about three, three, three and a half hours to Henzo's. Um, and we get a private lesson with him for like 75 bucks or something. It's a, obviously, in retrospect, the greatest deal in the history of of martial arts. But we, we got to roll with Matty Serra as a, as a purple belt. And every time Henzo would teach a new move, I would I would write it down in a notebook. And then I got a Mac SE, and you could digitize video with it. And I was like, you know, I think I would remember things better if I had video. So we'd take videos of our lessons, and then I would digitize it, and then I'd put notes on it. And one day I said, Jesus, this, this is almost like a book. So I went to Craig Kukuk because I had taken super extensive notes and pictures from his 11 tape set with uh, that he did with Henzo. And I was like, hey, Craig, I'll give you this book and you can just like add it for free to the videotapes. I'll just give it to you. If you want to give me some free private lessons, great. That would be super. I actually showed it to Henzo first. Henzo goes, wow, this is really cool. But, you know, I'm not the business guy. Talk to Craig. So I talked to Craig Kukuk. I said, here, you can have this book. If you want to give me some free lessons for it, that'd be great. And he just wasn't interested. So I'm like, all right, well, if he's not interested. I'll just do it myself. But I didn't want to use any of the te techniques on that 11-tape set. So it took maybe a year or so to try and get something that was pretty comprehensive, but at the same time didn't have anything that was on that set because I didn't want to you know, plagiarize stuff that he had put on a tape and maybe potentially cut into his tape sales. Um, so I, it took it took about a year uh, to put it all together, and you know, once we had it together, I'm like, fuck, how do I, you know, how do I let people know this is out there? And so I went on the internet. I grabbed a couple URLs. Nobody had mixedmartialarts.com. A bunch of I grabbed a good few others, uh, but mixed martial arts was not really the. Everybody called it nhb.com. So I looked for nhb.com, but I got beat by Disney by about. Three weeks. Disney, Disney just beat me to NHB. So no NHB.com for me. I, I passed on MixedMartialArts.com just because it just wasn't a common term back then. And we started with SubmissionFighting.com. We did that for a few years, but my mom gave me, called me up one day and she goes, Honey, I tell my friends what you do and I tell her the name of your site and they think it's like a kinky sex site. And I was like, oh, that's not good. You can't let your mother down. So I switched it to MixedMartialArts.com. And then uh, the UFC became UFC.TV. Hoist Gracie got Hoist Gracie.TV. So we switched to MMA TV. And then eventually, I don't even remember why anymore, we switched back to MixedMartialArts.com, and we've been doing it ever since. So speaking of the Fighter's Notebook, you can actually buy this thing new right now. So everybody in the chat, go to Amazon. There is one copy left for a small <laughs> price of $809.67. Oh, that's hilarious. I've got a couple of copies around here. I'm actually in the middle of, after 22 years, I'm in the middle of finally updating it. Um, 
it's pretty good. It's about 1,200 pages now. I'm only going to do the, the, the striking aspect of MMA. So it, it's only got wrestling insofar as it's relevant to striking. And the same thing with submissions. Only submissions in, insofar as they're relevant to striking. But I, I am in the middle of, uh, of the Fighter's Notebook too. finally, after 22 years of taking notes. Jay, you there? Did, did you die yep. on us? Okay. No, uh, uh, believe oh, me. Sorry, sorry. I, I had muted my uh, I had muted my microphone to avoid the dog squeaks. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not dead yet. That's that's a pretty long uh, um, uh, pause between your two books. You don't have George Martin doesn't have anything on you, sir. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a he, he's a he's a speed demon compared to me. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I am enjoying uh, I am enjoying updating it and it is a it is a marvel how much the the sport has changed yeah yeah um someone asked uh, how did so many mma fighters end up on your website uh, earlier you know in the beginning of it and I'm, my guess for me would be it's one of the few ones around but uh maybe i'm wrong why did you get so many mma fighters on there uh no social network it was pre-social network so there was no single place for there was just nowhere to go. If you were a fighter and you wanted to get the word out, you could send in a press release to uh, to Full Contact Fighter. Uh, Joel Gold's one of my heroes. Um, but you know, there's obviously a, a pretty good lead time. You call up Joel, you tell him something. He gets a reporter to call you. You talk to the reporter when you can finally connect and the reporter writes it up and then it gets printed once a month and whatever it was you wanted to say is now six weeks old. So I, I think people were looking for some kind of a platform to, to get the word out. And at the time, mixed martial arts was so small that, that there, there, was no, there was no anything. So I think people were looking for a little bit of a, a sense of community. They were looking for a little community. Right, and right. by no, as I said, I, I didn't even want a message board. So by no design whatsoever of my own, um, it somehow became for a while there the uh, the uh, sort of the online community for uh, for the sport. Uh, Grad one had a good question. He wanted to know if you had any crazy stories about guys like OMA or any other characters that you met via the website. Oh yeah, this was an awesome one. Uh, Dana White was having his fortieth birthday party, and uh, this was so fun. He was having his 40th birthday party. He got uh, those jump around guys. What's that band? Jump around. House jump of Pain. Around. House of Pain. He got House of Pain to reunite for one night on his birthday, and it was in Boston. And he sent me an email or a text or something, and he goes, hey, have a contest on the UG and choose five people, and I'll fly or four people I can't remember, and I'll fly them all in. So we had some kind of a contest, like, I forget what it was for. Maybe who could write the funny, funniest Dana White Christmas, uh, excuse me, Dana White happy birthday card. And OMA was one of the guys who won, of course. And what an awesome guy he is. And what mass holes we've got in my home state, because one of my, my, my mass holes kidnapped Belt. He showed up with Belt, of course, because he is the world middleweight champ of the Midwest. And somebody found his belt unprotected and kidnapped it for a while. Oh, uh, <laughs> OMA, I think, was a little bit hurt, but eventually he was reunited with Belt, and and the uh, the evening went on. The evening went on nicely. 
Nice. So, so you used to be in contact with Dana White fairly regularly, I guess, huh? Um. Yeah. I mean, before he was a billionaire that talks to the president every week, um, he was just a. Honestly, he was just a. He was just a guy. He was just the, the very first time I met him. I think was after. Elvis Sinisic, it, it was a card that Elvis Sinisic fought on, and I don't think it's when he tapped Horn. I think it was another one. because I think he lost to Tito. And Dana sent me a text or an email or whatever it would have been back then. It was like, hey, do you just want to meet? So I met him in the lobby, and he was, like, gentle, shy, kind of quiet, um, but different than the different than the Dana you see on, uh, on TV. Um I, I think I still do. I do. I, I still do have his phone number, but you know, it's not like I call the guy up and wish him a happy birthday or anything. <laughs> well, maybe you should. Maybe he's just was sitting there going, "Damn, Kirk never calls me anymore. Did I piss him off? What's going on here?" <laughs> he's the the transformation he's gone through really is um, incredible. Uh, I think when I met him, he drove a purple gremlin, and yeah. Now he's got <laughs> fleet of fleet of, of, of dozens of cards and everybody's like yeah dana turned into dana was a nice guy and he turned into a dick but there's some truth to that narrative but i i don't think it's complete uh, if you spend a lot of time around mma um managers fighters other promoters they can be a real huge pain in the ass um so I think Dana started off as like a pretty nice guy who just wanted to give everybody as much money as possible. And between some combination of no doubt uh, traits within him that were still there, but also because it is a really, really pain in the ass business, he turned into the, uh, the Dana that we see today um, for better and for worse. Um, you know, he, he made the sport. It's a, who knows, $6 billion corporation now. Um, I get the opportunity to fly all over the world to call fights. None of that would have happened without him. So, you know, do I wish he was still the shy, retiring, sweet guy? Sure, I guess so. But if he had stayed that way, the sport would have eaten him up and instead of vice versa. Right, well, he right. would have been an asshole anyway at some point. I mean, he was he was in Massachusetts. He came by it naturally. That is true. My massholes. Um, but he also <laughs> lived in Maine for a while. And people in Maine are really, really nice. So, so you don't know. He had he had a he had a variety of uh, he had a, a variety of, of impulses and pre- predilections in there. All right. Well, now I, I have a question for you personally, myself. What's your favorite MMA fight ever? I know it's hard to pin one down, but uh, favorite MMA fight ever. Well, the first thing is anytime any of my own guys fight, um, absolutely, that's the best. So within that context, absolutely, my favorite fight ever was when uh, Roxanne Montefiore beat Jennifer Howe the second time. Um, she, she trained at my gym. She was a non-athletic, incredibly sweet, very shy and retiring person. Uh, and she went to Japan to do a year in Japan, came back her senior year to finish up. When she was at Japan, in Japan, she did a couple of fights but they weren't like full-on fights, no knees to the face, no elbows, no punching on the ground, and they were humongous gloves. So she'd had like two fights, and then um, uh, Jeff Osborne called her up 
and said, hey, do you want to fight Jen Howe? Jen Howe at that point was 12-0 and 0 with, I don't know, you can look at her record. Most of them were knockouts. She was just a beast. And her her boyfriend at the time was, was and still is my favorite person in mixed martial arts, Jeremy Horn. And I'm like, no, you can't take that fight. And she's like, I want to take the fight. I'm like, you can't take the fight. She goes, okay. And she took the fight. She called up Jeff. She goes, yeah, I'll take it. And then she won. She beat Jen Howe. I'm like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like, I didn't corner her because I told her not to go. And she won. And so then they had a rematch. Uh, Monty Cox put a lot good at the time, a good amount of money behind it. Um, Jen Howe took it real seriously. And I cornered her for the rematch. And, and Roxanne won again. Um I think uh, against great odds, and it's just a, a, a testament to Roxanne Monteferi. She's absolutely the toughest fighter I know, um, and at the same time, an, an incredibly sweet person. But the most excited I've ever been in a fight, absolutely, Chan Howe versus Roxanne Monteferi. And then the next day, we get up, we got to go to the airport. And she had a good shiner, like a really good one from Jen Howe. In fact, in the in the locker room after the fight, she's all excited. And she's got this huge black eye, and there's a mirror. And I'm like, I threw a, uh, my jacket or something over the mirror so she couldn't see her face. And she kind of said, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, you know, you're a little banged up. Let's not look at mirrors until I try and get some ice on it. And she goes, no, 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 let me see. I'm like, fuck. So I take the mirror off. She looks at this huge shiner on her face and she smiles and she's like, good. I was like, God damn, this girl is tough. So the next day, I've got this little tiny girl walking with me through the airport. It was in Salt Lake City. And people in Salt Lake City, not like people in Massachusetts, they're incredibly nice. And I see all these guys that look like they want to slap me. And I'm like, what the, what the hell is going on? Like, I'm like, dick hanging out? What is happening here? And then I realized they thought she was my daughter or girlfriend, and I was beating her up. Because, <laughs> you, you know, see a quiet little girl with a tall guy. She's got a black eye. It's not an unnatural assumption. And I'm like, Roxanne, we've got to take your belt out. And she goes, it was in a, it was in a black uh, zippered container. And she goes, I can't take it out. Come on. No, that's stupid. I said, just trust me. We have to take it out. She's like, all right. So she threw the belt over her shoulder. And then everybody, because they're really nice people in Utah, everybody's like, whoa, what was that for? And, and, and th then we got all smiles. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're aware of that I'm the biggest Roxanne Modafari fan in the world. Um, I've met her a couple few times. This is how nice of a person that she is. I met her through Twitter and, you know, uh, and in your website, obviously, and talked with her back and forth. And after a couple of years of that, we we're basically friends to the point where, like, she was cool with me going to visit her in Las Vegas. You know, and uh, so I've been to, to Vegas several times and had dinner with her and walked around, you know, played video games in the arcades and shit like that. And I'm nobody. I'm just some schmuck on the Internet. But she's such a super duper nice person that if you put forth the effort to be her, her friend, she will be your friend. Jay, oh, absolutely! Internet famous, live up to it. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm a little internet famous. I actually ended up sponsoring her a couple times uh, when she was in Invicta uh, for my last uh, web, uh, my last podcast, uh, barely adequate. Uh, so I we uh, put like my logo on her shorts for a couple different fights. Uh, thank you. I mean, it, it probably wasn't, and I don't believe in throwing around numbers. It probably wasn't a lot of money from your perspective, but let me tell you. 
you know, I, I knew her through, I've known her since she was, I guess, 18, 17. I've known her through all those years. And what might seem like to you a very little amount of money was, was actually a, a, a lot of, if I, I can guarantee you it really genuinely made a difference. Like, okay, I can get something to eat tonight. That's absolutely awesome. And, and getting a sponsorship, even a modest one, for a fighter at that pre-UFC level is, is, is huge. So from the bottom of my heart, man, thank you. Um, you know, that, that, that really made a difference. And, and the seg- this segues to my favorite conversation I've ever had in mixed martial arts. It was after she won. She won. I think she. No, it was after she lost the title fight. Yeah, she lost the title fight. And I called her up, and um, she's pretty, you know, pretty bummed out. Uh, I always try and talk to her, win or lose. Uh, but I started trying to edge it towards the money because it was a, it was a very, very good amount of money for a title fight. She threw the figure, and I said, "No, that's off by thirty thousand dollars." And she said, "No, it's not." I said, "Yes, it is." She said, "No, it's not." I said, "Yes, it is." You forgot to add in. The uh, Reebok money for a title fight, it's an extra $30,000. And she said, it is? I got an extra $30,000? And that's my favorite conversation ever in, in MMA was telling Roxy she won <laughs> thirty grand more than she thought she had. Oh, that's See, these are awesome. really good stories and very heartwarming, but I could have sworn your answer for best fight ever was going to be Mark Coleman versus Takata. Like, that was just a battle. I'm trying to act well. Yeah, if you want to talk about <laughs> if you want to talk about beatings, um, Ensign Inouye versus Igor Vove is is you know Ensign was in the hospital for two weeks, uh, and and when you watched it, you, you knew Ensign was going to go to the hospital for a long time. You just knew it. Um, there's there's all kinds of slogans in mixed martial arts in the world, death before dishonor, blah, blah, blah. But that Yamato Damashi that he believes in, that death before dishonor, is who he is to the core. He will die before putting on a bad show for the fans. So, you know, for the most brutal fight I ever saw, absolutely. Ensign Inoue uh, versus Igor Vove. And Ensign didn't win, but... You know, I, I'm a I'm a lifelong fan with my until my last dying breath. I mean, it was the it was the greatest display of heart I have ever seen in any context. And at the end of it, he grabbed the mic. He can't hold his friends or his brothers hold Egan's holding him up, and he grabs the mic and he apologizes to the fans. He says, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I wasn't strong enough." And then they take him to the hospital. That's an absolutely unbelievable fight. Wow, that's crazy. Um, now, back in the day, obviously, Pride was a big thing, too. Were you as much of a Pride, a, a fan of the Pride uh, fights as you were the UFC, I assume? I loved the... Um, I loved the the pageantry of it. But mm-hmm. the issue I had with it was they did occasional works. And I hated the fact that I didn't know whether it was a... Uh, uh, you know, a shoot or a fix or or a work. I mean, a fix is when one guy knows he's going to lose and the other guy doesn't know it. A work is when it's it's a fake fight. It's pro wrestling. Uh, and a shoot's a real fight. And you just, I, I never knew with pride whether it was a work or a shoot or a fix. And that for me, that, that, that took away from it quite a bit. Yeah, I can imagine. So I was not a, myself a fan of the ropes either. 
to me, like the octagon with the cage walls seem more realistic. In a real fight, you're not going to get separated if you wander too far off the thing. There's walls and shit like that, obviously, but no ropes. So whenever I saw like the fight go into the ropes and they'd have to stop them and move them back, it always took away from the fight for me. Oh, and, and, you know, as a referee, I've refed hundreds of fights. And, and from some points of view, ropes are pretty cool. A ring is pretty cool. It makes people stand and trade more you can't just pin somebody up against the wall because it's way easier to close with somebody push them up against the wall than it is to take them down mm. so the ring is cool and that it makes them strike more but from a referee's point of view rings are just a nightmare it's elevated the guys are it's not boxing guys are trying to push each other they're pushing each other right through the ropes they can fall down on the ground they can get they can get injured and if a guy is starting to get in a submission he'll try and wriggle into the ropes and get tangled up on them and get reset. So certainly from a from an officiating point of view, from the point of view of trying to make MMA a real sport, the uh, the cage is a huge, huge improvement. All right, I can see that. Now uh, I have Macy B on the chat box asking what country you think has the best fighters and what base is the best for MMA? Uh, best base for uh, MMA incontrovertibly is wrestling. Um, I think that the kind of wrestling they're doing in, uh, in Dagestan is a little bit ahead of, um, of, of, of what everybody's doing in the rest of the world. I've talked to a couple of, uh, pretty, pretty good Dagestani coaches. They said the world's going to catch up in a couple of years. Maybe by then we'll have invented a few more, a uh, few more tweaks. Um, so, yeah, wrestling is the best base for mixed martial arts. And I, I think the, um, you know, everybody always talks about freestyle or, or, or Greco or folk style is the best base. I think folk style is the best base. Um, I'm not 100% sure why. I've got some theories on it. Uh, but I think folk style is established as, a, as the best base. But, but, but that Dagestani wrestling that they're doing is absolutely incredible. As for the... Um, as for the, the, the country with the, the best fighters, I mean, it, it, that's kind of a numbers game. It's the United States. Uh, the U.S. has the, at one point and early on in the sports development, it was, uh, it was Brazil. Um, but I, I, I think the, the best fighters do now come out of the, uh, the United States. But, man, I'm telling you, that Russian invasion is real. Um, uh, there's a lot of Russian wrestlers that... that, that, that are that for years were subsidized by the state but now that there's actual real money in mixed martial arts um i would not be at all surprised to see if in i would say about five years from now the the most significant uh place of origin for the most number of champs in the sport is uh, is russia and when i say russia i mean sort of broadly including chechnya right. and some of the, the provinces that 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 speak a different language than, than Russian is their native tongue and, and things like that. Hey, Ryan, so weren't speaking you speaking of that about area, that? Yeah, so speaking of that area, what are your thoughts on Hamzat Shemaev? Dude, when uh, I've, I've called Hamzat's uh, fights two or three times live from the cage, um, when it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Sid Wheeler, I forget the, I forget who he fought, uh, Ikram Alaskarov, when he knocked out Ikram with an uppercut, you can hear me saying live, everybody else's, the other two guys I was working with, two Irish guys um, who I love to death, they're, they're losing their effing minds. I'm literally speechless. Like, 
that one touch uppercut left me without a word. And the minute they stopped talking, I said, gentlemen, I believe we are looking at the future of mixed martial arts. Uh, and I still feel that way. I've been high as a kite on the Hamza Shemaya for, for since that moment. In fact, before, I think before that, he fought a guy named Sid Wheeler, and, and who's real tough, real tough kid out of Georgia, and, and just, just dominated him. That was the first time I saw him fight. But that, that uppercut, I said, this guy is a future champion of the world. There is no question in my mind he is going to be a superstar. And so when he finally got signed by the UFC, um, I, I mean, I, did I think he'd, he'd win two performance bonuses in 11 days? No, but neither did it surprise me in, in, in the least. Uh, speaking of wrestlers of that type, what do you think is going to happen in the Habib versus uh, Justin Gagey fight? Uh, Habib's going to win. Um, he's, he's got a, he's got a real good chin. Uh, he obviously trains incredibly hard and I, I never rolled with him. I wouldn't want to, um, the heavy, I think the scariest guy I've ever rolled with <laughs> is, is, uh, Gabriel Gonzaga. Cause when he pins you, I, when he pins me, I feel like I'm on the verge of, of a, an actual injury, like a rib popping out or something, just that much pressure. Uh, and everybody tells me that, uh, that, that, that Habib is worse, that when he's on top of you, there's just n no way to describe how terrible it is, how much pressure he puts on you. Um, so I like Habib, and then I, th I think that'll be Habib's 29th fight. Mm -hmm. yep. And for his 30th fight, I think he's going to fight GSP. I think they're going to do that, and then that's it. He's going to ride off into the sunset with $100 million or whatever he's made, uh, and, a, and a real hero in the, in the Muslim-speaking world. Um, in the last year, I've worked in, in uh, Morocco and Pakistan and any number of uh, uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, Bahrain. I've worked in a lot of Muslim nations. And Habib is an actual, genuine hero. I don't want to say Michael Jackson, but, but not that far over, over either. You jump in a taxi, and every taxi driver, when they hear you doing mixed martial arts, starts asking you some question about Habib. So for me, coming from a time when nobody knew the difference between mixed martial arts and professional wrestling, uh, the, 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 the rise of Habib has, has really been amazing. It's just, it's just been wonderful. It's been one of my favorite things that's happened in however many, 20-some years, 30 going on now, 22. Well, uh, from, the, from the chat box, Slydog is a completely different uh, subject. Uh, he wants to know if you've ever been sued because of the website. Uh, have I been sued by the website? Yeah, we've been. Oh. Yeah, we've been sued. I've been. I've. I've been sued. How many times? I mean, I've been served papers any number of times. Um, I had a federal case once, just once. So Holy only shit. once. Only once did I have to. Uh, did I have to go to court? We ended up winning. Um, but as anybody will tell you, going to federal court is it just. You, you don't win. Let me just say, you don't win. Uh, you get If you get a half-decent attorney, the first thing you want, absolute minimum, 15 grand retainer. Mm. And, and they're going to want a bunch more after that. That's the first conversation costs you $15,000. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I've, I've had – and as far as threats of a lawsuit go, it's every week. Uh, I get so <laughs> many of them. I actually put a thing on my uh, on my, my phone message – saying, hey, we are allowed to make these phone messages public. Uh, 
because it's actually pretty good content. The number of people screaming about whatever it is that they're gonna they're gonna sue me over. So threats every week. I've been served papers, you know, a good number of times, uh, but it only only one time did it actually get into the courts. But it was federal court, and it, it's you know it's tens of thousands it's tens of thousands of dollars. It's not fun even when you win. And sweet Jesus, if I lost, I mean. Mm. I don't even want to think about that. If, if you don't mind me asking, what were were most of these lawsuits for the, for the same thing? I mean, uh, I can't imagine what someone would actually sue you about. Uh, copyright infringement is is by far the hmm. uh, the most common one. Um, I mean, I've been like served papers by the UFC, um, and I get it. It's their content. There are a lot of do. I am very familiar with the arguments on both sides. I know a lot of people are like, uh, uh, I forget what it was called, ECW Pro Wrestling. Nobody knew what it was. People tape traded. It became popular. They say the same thing is true with the UFC. It could be true. I don't know. But it's their content. If they want to send it all out for free and, and try and become famous that way, then they can do that. And if they don't want to, that's their right. Like, I get it. Um, so yeah, I've been served papers um, by the UFC, and I complied quickly. Uh, <laughs> only one time did it, it but yeah, the, the the usual reason is um, is copyright infringement. Uh, right. Sometimes slander. Somebody says something mean about them on the internet, so we get some some slander. Uh, and sometimes people call. I've never been sued for it, but I've certainly been threatened. I'm the records keeper for MMA, and sometimes people submit fake fights like there was a guy who was two and six or something and he said he went to portugal twice and he he won three mans and he beat you know pablo lopez and pablo de jesus and some other guy that nobody had ever heard of in any of them they were they were fighters with they were made up it was just made up shit um and i've had multiple multiple cases like that where people will submit what are clearly fake fights and they're like, those are real fights. I'm going to sue you. I'm like, I know. Now, I see grad one asked earlier about your thoughts for the uh, DC uh, Stipe fight. Stipe. Stipe. Um, oh, no. <laughs> um, Jesus, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Stipe Miocic uh, is, is going to win it pretty handily. Um uh, I think DC always said he was going to retire when he was 41. I think he's 42 now, or he's about. He said he always said he was going to retire by the time he was 40. Uh, granted, heavyweights have a longer shelf life than do the later weight divisions. That's just a, a fact in combat sports. But I think he should have. I, I would have liked to have seen him retire at uh, at 40. Um, Stipe. Uh, speaking perfectly frankly, doesn't quite sound the same as he used to. He's, you know, he was a very competitive boxer for a long time. Obviously, a Div One wrestler and a lot, a lot of MMA getting hit by monsters in that division. So it, it, it's not like DC's an old man and Stipe's fresh as a daisy. But I, I think at this stage in their game, uh, I think Stipe has a superior skill set. One factor that could play in is that it's at the apex that has the smaller uh, octagon diagonally. It's maybe a third less or so. Um, that, 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 that could turn into a little bit more of a phone booth fight, a little bit more of a, 
a wrestling fight. I could see DC more able to to wrestle fuck Stipe. Uh, but I, I still think that Stipe's skill set right now is better than DC's. And I say that with the utmost of respect for Daniel Cormier. I mean, you know, captain of the U.S. wrestling team, represented the USA, two-time you know, champ, champ. Can't say enough good things about the guy, but I think Stipe Miocic, Miocic has a better skill set, and I think he's going to go. Right. Well, I've been pretty much dominating this so far with my uh, annoying questions. Uh, Ryan, you got anything you want to ask uh, Kirk while we got hey, him here? Hey, at least you're uh, you're keeping up with the chat as far as what people have to say. Um, yeah, one interesting one. Uh, you were talking a little bit earlier about folk style translating to mixed martial arts. What are your thoughts on Bo Nickel coming to MMA after the Olympics next year? The experience with um, top, top, top wrestlers coming into the sport is 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 not as it's not as inevitable as you would think um a black belt in my gym who uh went to div three nationals he was one match away from all american like real good real good heavyweight got a chance to wrestle with uh with gabber from egypt an olympic gold medalist at uh uh, at a wrestling club in New York, I forget, Twin Towers, I forget what it was called. And he said Gabber just treated him like he was a little baby. But Gabber ended up fighting, uh, what's his name, Cement Head, Japanese guy. Uh, name's escaping me. And and Gabber just got the stupid out of him. Um, Gabber's probably a better wrestler than you've ever seen in mixed martial arts. But it didn't, it didn't, it didn't translate well at all. So uh, when you get a, a guy who's an extraordinary wrestler, it, it, it's not a it, it's not a it's it's not a it's it's not a sure thing. One of the things is how much head trauma you can take. Basketball players are tall; it's obvious to see. Mixed martial arts is a little bit different. Um, you can't see whether a guy can take a shot or not. The uh, endurance that wrestlers have and the neck definitely helps prevent head trauma. But some guys can take a shot and some can't. Power's the same way. Some people can, can't, you can't teach power. You can increase somebody's power, but you can't teach power. You can't give somebody power. They have it or they don't. And some people are just naturally chinny. They just dink, hit them, and yeah, they're, they're a little bit wobbly. So factoring that in, um, I'm definitely wait and see. But I, I don't assume every time a great wrestler enters the sport, uh, that he's going to do great. Hmm. Interesting. But you still think that's still the best base to go from for, they had the most advantages starting out. Yeah, 100%. Um, I read a, uh, years and years ago now, I read the doctorate from a guy at Iowa or Iowa State. I forget which one. And he did his doctorate on the changes in folk style rules over the previous say 50 years, so it was like 1910 to 1960, something like that. And there was a super interesting pattern that I saw in it, and that was the, the slow removal of all dangerous holds. Every year for, for generations, folk style removed dangerous holds, removed dangerous holds. Now you would think on its face that that creates a, a weaker style, like it takes away everything that makes jiu-jitsu great. But the plus of it is 
it's created a style where you can go 100%. You can start when you're eight years old and wrestle all out. You can just go as hard as you can. You can't do that with Muay Thai. You can't do that with boxing. You sure can't do that with jiu-jitsu. Let's all heel hook each other as hard as we can starting starting at eight. And you'll never make it, you'll never make it to nine. So... <laughs> I think in a weird way, by removing all the dangerous holds, wrestling created a combat sport where you can start when you're eight years old or, you know, like how old was Habib when he was when he was wrestling the bear three or well, something? Yeah. So in Iowa, we start tournaments at five years old, five years old. You can go as hard as you want from five years old. And by the time you're like. Dan Henderson at 30 years old, you spent 25 of your 30 years going in your in your combat sport of choice as hard as you can. And I think that may be uh, one of the one of the reasons that that it's such a tremendous base for MMA, because obviously when you fight in MMA, you're going as hard as you can. You're trying to do everything 100 percent. But in all the other combat sports. Boxing, eh, boxing is a little bit in between. Some gyms, like like Crunk Gym, they turn the they turn up to 100 degrees, and, and and they actually will. Some guys will fight harder in the gym in a gym like Crunk than they do in an actual competition. But I don't think that's real great for people's brains. Uh, with the the rising awareness around concussion, I, I don't think that's a great way to proceed. But you can wrestle your ass off from five years on. And you don't end up speaking abada babada, and you get a skill set and you get an attitude of going 100%. And I think that translates perfectly to MMA. Do you think uh, that some of these fighters that have moved away from sparring, do you think that's a good idea? Uh, didn't uh, Ferguson said he barely even spars anymore? Um, I think that the biggest problem that Americans have with Muay Thai and the biggest problem that Americans have with jiu-jitsu is going too hard. Um, I've never been to Thailand, but I've been in really, really good Thai gyms in, you know, in Europe and in the United States, and they're not teeing off on each other. It's not like boxing. I mean, the purses are so low in Muay Thai. They, they, they're fighting every weekend, every other weekend. They can't, and they're human. You know, they're, 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 they're people. They're not, they're not Superman. So they're always recovering from a fight. And so in Muay Thai, they've developed super fast-paced, super technical sparring. And Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil can be like that, too. Um, I have been in, in gyms in, in Brazil. And it, it's, it's a little bit of a different – it's a much more technical – Attitude. Uh, I would say the place in the U.S., uh, the USA that that gets it the most right, that is the most technical, is Hells and Gracies in uh, in Honolulu. Those are, from my limited perspective, the most technical uh, grapplers that I've ever seen. Um, but I think you can still spar, but you just don't want to spar hard. You don't want to tee off on each other. And that that's uh, you know I don't want to see guys not spar at all because they're not developing timing, um, and I timing is is probably the single most important skill in the sport. But uh, do I like seeing people taking head trauma in the gym? I mean, I've walked into famous gyms. Obviously, I wouldn't say where, and there's more than one. And I've seen people knocked out in the gym, cold, boom, flat, uh, out. Somebody comes over, shakes them a little bit, they get up. Um, that's nuts. 
I mean, that, that's nuts. I don't think it's I don't think it's necessary. It's it's a quick way of figuring out who's got what it takes. Uh, but I, I don't think again, given the increased level of understanding we all have now around concussion, I, I don't think it's the it's the preferred way anymore. Alrighty. Or you can well, just fight 320 times like Travis Fulton. Uh, you know, tr- that's the thing about boxing is I, I've known a lot of punching. I've known a lot of guys who are punching that didn't have big records, and I've known guys in boxing that had crazy big records and aren't punching in the least. At some point, hopefully in a generation or two, people figure out what little marker on the brain means you're, you're going you're gonna to get punchy or you're not. But, yeah, Travis is a smart guy, um, and he's had, yeah, 300 MMA matches and, you know, who knows, many, many dozens of professional boxing matches, uh, and he's fine. But he's, he, he's kind of the exception that proves the rule to my mind. Hmm. Now, this is normally the point where I'd be wrapping it up, but uh, as long as you're willing to stick around, we probably have some more questions for you, if you don't mind, sir. Absolutely. No, no, it's just I got nothing All but right. time right now. Excellent. With this lockdown. It's like, uh, you know, it's like being in prison. Nothing but right. time. Right. Now, you don't have to answer this one if you don't want to, but Sly's asked it a couple times in the chat box. Uh, he wanted to know how's the site traffic doing compared to 10 years ago. Um, no, it's a great question. I'll, any question anybody has, I'm happy and honored to answer. Um, the site traffic is up, but the forum traffic is not. Um, forum traffic is down. Uh, compared to its peak, but the site traffic overall is uh, is up, and that's because when I realized that I was getting my ass kicked by the social network, you know, I did jujitsu, um, and we now we have about uh, a, a combined about five million followers on Facebook that we built up over five years or more. So we've got a very big social network following. And we can direct them to, to certain stories that we think will be particularly of interest. Hmm. So the site, the site traffic overall is up, um, but the forum traffic certainly is not. Um, and that's something I attribute. There's any number of reasons for it. Um, I didn't do the technology updates that I should have. Um, much of the time I was constrained uh, for financial reasons. Running a forum is not real lucrative, but there were uh, moments where we did have the money to do it, uh, and I didn't, and that was a mistake, something I kicked myself for. But we um, we are revamping the entire site. The uh, they are they working on it right now? No, they're they're still finishing up the the records keeping thing. As I, as I referenced earlier, I'm the records keeper for MMA, um, and so that's a it's a very it's a we're talking about head trauma. It's very important that commissions know what's going on with fighters. So I put te- a, a ton of technology into that. They are, I actually spent all day on uh, on Slack with uh, two full-time developers that are sort of finalizing that. And then I think the next thing you're going to tackle is the forum. So I, 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 I will be putting, uh, I will be putting a lot of resources into upgrading the forum. Um, but I have it, and I think that is a contributing factor, along with you know Twitter, uh, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. The rise of the social network certainly um, came down hard on message boards. But you look at something like Reddit, 
which has a proprietary technology that I think is really cool, and they've done fine. So it's it's not just uh, it's not just the the rise of the social network. It was also me and not investing money in in, in the technology that I should have. Well, the rise of social network is a big part of it, though. Uh, at one point, I was uh, on a Kevin Smith uh, forum that he started himself way back in the 90s, probably around the same time that you started yours, maybe even a little bit earlier. And it was just a, it was a medium sized forum of just Kevin Smith fans and people hung around on it because he was active on the forum himself. And that was the best part of it. You, know, you could post something and there's a good chance Kevin Smith would go ahead and answer it for you. You what, serious? What, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. No, it was, a good, it was a good time. I, 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 I never really knew him that well, but I knew his wife fairly well because she hung out in the forum as well. Uh, that's that forum is the reason that one of my the episodes of my old podcast is on his website because uh, he at one point he was doing something called Pod U where he let gathered podcasts from the different people on the forum and put them on his website to try to promote them. Um, wow. But Twitter, but Twitter killed that. Uh, Twitter, yeah. he, he was so in the Twitter, he said it, it was such an immediate way to talk to his fans back and forth that he spent less and less and less time on that forum. And then one day, uh, someone on the forum made fun of his friends on Comic Book Man, and he was decided that the forum wasn't worth the effort anymore and shut it down. Uh, so yeah. you, so the fact that your forum is still around after all the purging of these forums because of the different social media coming out is actually pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm still in it to win it, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm still you know hyper enthusiastic uh, about the uh, hyper enthusiastic about the site, um, but it's but you know I don't want to say it was harder because when we first started off, nobody even knew about the sport, so it's kind of hard then. Um, it, it's business. Business is hard. Um, I got I, I got no complaints, right. but I, I I am trying to address it. Well, try it now. It's speaking of uh, meeting celebrities through forums. How did you end up on Joe Rogan's show? Uh, Christ, dude! I've known who Joe was since he was fifteen. We had a guy at my gym. Nice guy. He's an, he's, a, he's an accountant now. Um, but when he used to spar, he would he would go real hard. Like real hard. He would like try and tee off on you. And uh, he was at uh, Jay Kim's. I don't know if it was, uh, I think it was at the Jay Kim's in Boston. Yeah, it's down a big hill on the right in Boston. And he tried to go hard with, with Joe. And Joe knocked his ass out for a long time. So his concussion was so bad, his doctor said, you cannot do contact sports for the rest of your life. Oh, and the my. guy didn't. Guy never got hit in the head again. That was the first time I heard about Joe Rogan. And then a hot girl walked into the gym and said her boyfriend was this guy, Joe Rogan. I'm like, shit, I know who that guy is. Um, So I followed him a little bit. Uh, I saw him compete when he was maybe 16, 17. And he was absolutely next level. I mean, there is, there is, I mean, you don't get like 15 year olds really doing MMA yet. So I'm not sure there is even an equivalent, but it, you know, in, in MMA. But he, he he was just a prodigy. I mean, he was just ridiculously good. And then um, and then he was a forum member, and um, I addressed the Association of Boxing Commissions or Boxing and Combative Sports Commissions once a year at their at their annual conference, and it happened to be in I guess it was in San Diego, which is not too bad a drive from LA. And so we were like, hey, we're going to be there. 
what do you think about us being on the show? He said, gracious gentlemen. And he said, sure. So that, that was how I got on the JRE. Oh, that's pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> See, now I'm proud of my show because now I've had two people from the Joe Rogan experience on my show now. You and Pat Militich. Or uh, Arch, dude. rather. Spoiler Arch, right? <laughs> Well, it, it, it's it's the other ground show. So really, everybody that's talking right now, this is the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, which has been a good time so far. And uh, by the way, I wanted to bring that up. I really appreciate you allowing us to use the name Other Ground Live. Uh, when we were starting the show up, but well, we weren't sure if you would be cool with it or not. So I really appreciate you guys you uh, giving us permission to use it. So it, it, did, it did give us a really pretty good base to launch the show that we wouldn't have had otherwise. No, dude, I, one thing people, like people have said back in the day anyways, like, are you and Jeff Sherwood rivals? And I was like, no, Jeff's a hero of mine. Jeff's a hero of mine. We're, we're, we're doing the exact same thing. We're trying to promote the sport. Um, that, you know, that was my attitude when I was a, a kid just getting started here. And, and it's still my attitude. I, I, like, if anybody wants to do anything positive in, in this sport, has my 100% support, including Jeff Sherwood. And in some ways, he and I were direct competitors. You know, we were we were competing with each other for, for forum traffic. But I, I think the world of Jeff, um, just the, the world of the guy, and I, I never thought of him as anything but a, a, a highly respected colleague. So when you guys came along, you're like, hey, you know, we're all in lockdown. We want to do a... We want to do a we want to do a podcast. I was like, God damn, great idea! I, I'm uh, behind it 100. percent Well, and I thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, I've seen this question a couple few times in a chat box. I have no clue what it fucking means. Uh, but people are saying scuba suit. <laughs> What's that about? Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Here's the truth. Um, I've never had good abs. I was like a little kid, and I, I was fixated on comics. I used to live in uh, in Nigeria, and I, I got no actual American comics, like superhero comics, for like a year. And I was in a market, and I found a ripped-in-half Spider-Man or something. And I was like, oh, my God, Spider-Man! I gave him 10 cents or whatever, and that was the only comic I had for the year. But as a little kid, I was fixated on superheroes. What do superheroes have? They all have a six-pack. Um, I've done I've done thousands of sit-ups in a row before, but I've, I've always had like a dad bod and I've always been wicked self-conscious about it. And so when I did MMA, I would fight in a rash guard because I was embarrassed. I still am embarrassed that I don't have a six pack. Let me tell you, I never would have worn that rash guard if I had had good abs. I'd probably walk around with my shirt off 24 <laughs> seven, but I don't. So I do. And then, um, uh, rest in peace, uh, Train Judo, um, saw a picture of it, saw a picture of me fighting with a, a wearing a top rash guard. I think I was wearing a long pants to try a long, uh, tights to sneak out of, uh, sneak out of back mount wrestling shoes. So I could sit down a little bit on punches and I was wearing a rash guard so nobody could see my dad bod. And he posted a picture on the UG, Kirchenes getting ready for a fight. And it shows a guy in a scuba suit jumping into the water. And I, I just died laughing, you know, absolutely fell out laughing. When somebody gets you, they, they, they get you. That was Quincy Rice, rest in peace, Quincy, um, who did that. And, and it stuck ever since because, because it was perfect. That's awesome. So uh, Ryan, you got anything else you want to ask him? I got one or two things, but I feel like I'm uh, monopolizing his time. Well, I, th I think the most important question, and we always got to save this till near the end, 
who exactly are the top men? And the second part to the question, why are Passive Jay and myself not moderators yet? I mean, everybody wants to know. <laughs> As to the second question first, done. You're both moderators. That was easy. As to the first question, the, uh, the top, top man is uh, G Money. He walked into my gym when I think he was 11 years old. Uh, he's just a little kid. Walked into the gym. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to learn how to fight. I'm like, okay, great kid. Got to know him a little bit. By the time he was 12, he, he's so good at business. He borrowed his mom's lawnmower. And he went to the next door neighbor and said, if you give me gasoline for the lawnmower, I will mow your lawn for free. And he had a little landscaping business at 12 years old, as far as you could push a lawnmower. So he had like whatever, eight people or something. But he was like making more money than the instructors who were teaching him. He's making hundreds of dollars every week. I was like, this kid is awesome. And then he uh, he's the top, top man. And then he went to college. Um, he saw me writing the fighter's notebook. He saw me trying to use Dreamweaver, one of these, these uh, off, you know, off, 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 one of these programs to help you make up your own website. And he said, "Let me make you a website." And I said, "No, I've got this Dreamweaver. I'm going to make my own website." And he took me to breakfast at a place in front of the gym, and he said, "Dude, anything you can think of, I will do." I'm like, "All right, you can build the site." So he he's been the top man ever since. Um, for years there. I eventually gave him equity in the site because I couldn't afford it. He got he got bigger and bigger and bigger. He now does the apps for about 15 NFL teams, um, and he doesn't have 30% of his life to um, to devote to the site anymore. Um, he, he just doesn't. You know, if I had done everything that I that I should have with the site, maybe I could afford to pay him the same money the Patriots and the Browns and the Dolphins and everybody else is. But I didn't, so I don't. Um, so technology-wise, we've uh, we, we've slid back a little bit, but the top man is is G Money. That's funny. That's like an interesting story because it does parallel that Kevin Smith thing once again. Uh, he had his website and forum made to him made for him by a guy named Ming Ming Chen, uh, which who any of you who are familiar with Kevin Smith might know that guy went on to actually be on his show Comic Book Man. Uh, so. The guy is actually like semi-famous just from his Kevin Smith Association. And the only reason he started was because he got hold of him and offered to make him a website. So apparently I'm in the wrong field. I should be making fucking websites. Make websites for, yeah, people, make websites for people with dumb ideas that, that end up <laughs> taking off. Yep, yep. What else you got, Ryan? Uh, go ahead, Jay. You're good to go. Oh, Jesus. Okay, well, uh, I'm starting to run out of questions here. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, well, I'll tell you what, hold, hold any questions you've got. I got nothing but time. Um, you know, in the last few months, I was supposed to do shows in China, Romania, uh, Sweden, Poland, and they're all off. I've got nothing but time. So if you give me more questions, invite me back, and, and I would be very, very happy to, to be back on again. There you go. That's what we're doing. Okay, we'll go ahead and finish up here, and then we'll go back. We'll make a new thread, which will be questions for Keurig. That way we'll have some time to build some stuff up for you. Terrific. Excellent. All right. Well, that looks like it's a show for tonight. I want to thank Keurig for calling in. Dude, you're a great guest. Uh, I want to thank the OG Army uh, for showing up. We couldn't do the show without you. And I'd also like to uh, thank uh, my co-host, Ryan. Couldn't do a show without him either. 
Uh, we actually have a bear calling in before we leave, so let's go ahead and see what the bear has to say. The world-famous bear stare. Hello, sir. <laughs> so I actually Alrighty. know what he said. He was actually giving a plug saying we must make MMA.tv great again. And step <laughs> one is the other ground podcast. There you go. All right, Ryan, you got anything before we get out of here? Yeah, so I've got two things. The first thing, huge thank you to Kirik, even though he is up there in Massachusetts. And I am stuck in a sandwich of assholes from Massachusetts and New York, stuck here in Connecticut. So that leads me to my second thing as I close every show that we do. Fuck all y'all. Everybody have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow at six. Bye-bye. Cheers. Hit me!